Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Warm-ups, not really, but when I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. I just woke up feeling real dangerous. All right, guys, welcome to the Oakland Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm Kami Amarabian with my co-host Jack Shield sitting right beside me. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you get a podcast. Why don't you just go ahead and give us a five-star review? We really appreciate it. And just makes us easier to find on iTunes and everything else. Jack, how are you doing today? Doing okay. I've finally recovered from Saturday night. I mean, it's uh, there are an awful lot of emotions, obviously. I mean, on one hand, it was pretty rough in the second half, obviously. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, things from the past seem to uh, rear their ugly head once again. They did. At the same time, a win is a hell of a lot better than a loss. And at this stage in my life and at this stage in my fandom, I do not take that for granted. Ever. Right. So, I'm finally processing all of it, and I'm ready to roll. Let's do this. All right, well... The Sooners, they played the Cyclones in Norman. And the last time that, you know, Matt Campbell took his Cyclones down to Norman against Lincoln Riley in 2017, they came away with a victory. Oklahoma was wearing their rough, all red Rough Rider uniforms, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's correct. It's the only time they've ever done that. Yeah, it was an atrocity. But um, they came in, and Iowa State comes in wearing the same uniforms they did in 2017 for maybe some good luck. That obviously did. Um, aid them in the fourth quarter, definitely. And Oklahoma, they win by the skin of their teeth, 42-41, to 41, but there's so much more to that that went into this game. And um, the first thing I see on the field is Caleb Kelly. This man is in, in pads. He is warming up. He's going through stretches. He's going through some drills. That's a good sign. Of course. Now... As far as the timetable is concerned, obviously he's medically cleared. Oh, yeah. He's full go. No, and I'm not talking like Andre Robertson full no, go where he's no. like full go, but not really. This man could probably play next week. Probably. Now, the thing is with this four-game rule, if you're Oklahoma, are you preparing as if the playoff is still in play and equating that into this whole thing? Because if that's the case, then you would wait for the Oklahoma State game. Mm-hmm. be Oklahoma State Big 12 championship two playoff games so because of that I, I would you would think that if they were to win out or if they were to win at Baylor they would 
keep him out again against TCU just to save him for that Oklahoma State game, mm-hmm. save him for the four-game rule. Mm-hmm. That, that it, is that how you see it? I was thinking about it today, and I was thinking about maybe, well, if you could hold him out um, for Baylor and just run him, rip him right off, uh, TCU, Oklahoma State, um, the Big 12 title game, and then, you know, just one game in the playoff. And that's if they even make the playoff. Right yeah. now, they're kind of a long shot. Of course, shot yeah, unless... it's a long shot. But if you're the coaching staff, you're probably approaching it like the playoff is still yeah. in play, correct? Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, so why, you wouldn't, why wouldn't bring them back Why yet? wouldn't you? Exactly. But at the same time, I'm thinking, well, if you don't need them against, T- if you don't need them against Baylor, then you wouldn't need them against TCU. So then why not just wait till Oklahoma State? That's what I'm thinking, yeah. So th- th- that's the thing, and I, I don't. I was thinking about that earlier today, and I was like, well, I mean, if you're not going to use him during Baylor, if he's not ready during Baylor, you don't need him during TCU. That's an offense you don't have to worry about, and I say that sparingly, but that's an offense you shouldn't have to worry about at all, especially at home. And um, then, you know, if you really are in cultural playoff contention by that time, you have Oklahoma State, the Big 12 title game, and possibly two more games added on to that. So... It's a unique conversation. Uh, it's definitely a piece that, when you know, what position would he play? Would he play the the edge? Would he do that? Because since John Michael Terry went out, they've been having some problems with Nick Bonita out there and making some, uh, not necessarily not making, he's not doing having bad plays. He's just not making the play. And uh, or are you gonna substitute him in for Buki sometimes and give a little more edge presence as far as? Buki getting blown up by tight ends every other play. That's not what you want. And, uh, you know, that's what you can see a lot in the replays. Did you see that quite a bit when you yeah, rewatched the game? Yeah, He did have a good game, though. He had largely. a pretty decent game until, of course, he extended the drive. And, yeah, and not great. Alex Grinch and had it ripped into him. Then Lincoln Riley ripped into him some more. But, yeah, Caleb Kelly, probably going to play this year. It's not something that I thought I would say. No, not at all. And if that's the case, if he's going to play four games this year, or maybe even throw at least three, my thinking is that he won't end up, you know, he won't end up tra- grad transferring. That he will just stay in the in the program. Why not? That's how it's that's how it's looking. I mean, I don't see any other way to go about yeah, it here. Of course, but, but uh, the first half of the game. I mean, honestly, who could really have any complaints? The Sooners were winning. Well, at least not the first two drives. Exactly. Yeah, the, the Sooners are winning thirty-five to fourteen at half. Now, granted, I mean, those first two drives, everyone's in position to make plays defensively, and people are generally tacking, tackling well. After that, you started to see little breakdowns. Like, you saw a little bit of shoddy tackling, you saw a few breakdowns in coverage, and it seemed like from there, it was just gradually snowballing. Each drive was getting worse, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know how, I mean, how much of it can you even blame on Grinch at this point? Like, right. schematically, it seemed right. like it was a lot of, like, mental and uh, effort errors, it and seemed like. they were slipping all over the field, so I don't know yeah. what was going on there. That was odd. They were slipping and sliding into each other, so like, I don't think the turf was that bad. But it was it was such a weird situation. But yeah, you can't be upset with the first half. I mean, Jalen tried to throw a pick six a couple times. He, oh God, he should have had three first half interceptions. Yeah, it was bad. It was, it was pretty you crazy. Could tell. Other, but otherwise, he did play well. Yeah, you, you could tell he had made up his mind before the ball was snapped yes. where he was going to throw the ball, and it was to CD. You yeah. know, all the times, of course, yeah. it would be to CD. And uh, but the first half, you can't be upset. And it's like, oh my gosh, Lincoln Riley had a, a revelation. He had a renaissance of thought. He handed the ball to a running back. And it's been two weeks or three weeks since we've seen that because he didn't do it versus Kansas State. 
And then like Kennedy Brooks is ripping off 30 yards, 20 yards, 40 yards. And it's just like, why, why did they stop? And of course, that was the first half in a nutshell. I mean, the defense was relatively solid. Uh, the offense was kind of what you wanted. I mean, did Jalen Hurts make some mistakes? Yeah. Did CD's touchdown, should that have been picked off? Yes. If Jalen Hurts just steps into that throw, CD boat races the rest of the three defenders in the end zone, and it's an easy t- touchdown. But he underthrew that thing by like five yards, and then it went through a defender's hands twice. It did that went through a defender's hands and bounced into CD's hands. So, I mean, CD's, uh, you know, a lucky man as well as he is just a really good football player in general with great concentration. But it was a night game. Several of us fans and people watching the game were intoxicated. Uh, it was also cold, so what better that, way? That, so we'll see the intoxication helped with that Ex- quite a bit. Exactly. What I, I, would, I never felt uncomfortable. To constrict your blood temperature and the temperature of your body. Without un, with alcohol, of course. So people were out in full force, drinking their alcohol, enjoying the day, um, and um, it was just it was a good atmosphere. Wouldn't you say to start the game, it was wonderful. Of course, it was fine. And then you know it's thirty five fourteen at half. Everyone's been drinking all day. Yes. Some people said, you know what, I might go to Campus Corner for a few drinks and call it a night. And usually, I wouldn't blame them. In Lincoln Riley, people are people are really upset about that right now, and I I do not I, I'm not right quite on board with that. I I really am not pissed off at the fans over this. It's something that I might have done on occasion. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was a you know blowout at the half. It was a late game. Some yeah. people probably wanted to get home. I mean, yeah. seemed like it was in hand, but you know whatever. Yeah, and I think I think there's I think there's two sides to that because I mean Lincoln Riley was obviously not very happy. Of course, about and it like today. I understand that from the team's perspective. Yeah. But I mean, and obviously it's harder to you know get up for a play if the stadium's half empty. But I mean, right. and obviously in a perfect world you would stay there and support everyone. But that I mean, people have shit to do. I mean, so people get tired. <laughs> we can talk about this. Lincoln Riley he talked about it in the most like cordial way. By the way, he was. I did stay for the whole game. For the record, though, he... <laughs> I want that to be very clear. <laughs> he Lincoln's Lincoln basically in the most cordial way and articulate way as possible specified his displeasure with the fans, specifically maybe even the student section, for leaving the game, especially at halftime. Like you said, it was 35 to 14. And I think I think part of it is, I think part of it, and I don't really have a problem with it. I've never done it. Okay, just kidding. Let me rephrase that. I've left shortly after halftime once ever watching a game, and that was in 2014, it was that disgusting OU versus Baylor game where... I don't think anyone will blame you for that one. Where I was like, okay, OU's down, even though they got up to like a 14, 17 nothing lead. And let's see what they ha- let's see what they do after the first couple drives out of this half. Maybe they can turn it around with Trevor Knight and whatever. And Baylor just nope. out route, out route, out route, out route, marches down the field, gets a touchdown. 15-yard cushion, 15-yard cushion, 15-yard cushion. I I just kind of I looked at the person next to me. I was like, dude, this is not OU football. That was Mike Stoops waving yeah. a white flag. Yeah. I, I, and that was the game that Julian Wilson was screaming at him. And Mike and Mike's like, well, we blitzed all day. We just couldn't get to the quarterback. Well, that's probably because you're giving the guys 15 yards of damn pressure yeah. or uh, cushion. And – I just looked at the guy next to me. I was like, this is not OU football. I'm not watching this BS anymore. I'm out. I got to go. I can't. I'm going to be more angry. Uh, so I left. But talking about fans leaving at halftime, 
Because you said you've done it on occasion. Part of it is just that halftime is kind of a buzzkill, too. Yeah. So, I mean, not everyone wants to sit through that, so. But it's not just, it's not just the students leaving. It's also just, just the common fans. Fans in it's, general. It's, no, it's, it, it wasn't just the student <clears throat> section. It was it The was student section, lot. I would say, left earlier than the average fan did, but yeah, the place was, you know, half full. So like those the, final drives. You get the student section. What's the student section do when they leave at halftime? They go, A, they go to the bar scene, and B, they go prep for the parties later on that night. Of course. And a lot of them, you know, aren't 21 or don't have a fake ID, so they can't get a beer in the stadium. That's correct. So, so a lot unless of them, they get someone to get it for them. So whatever, a lot of them are going and prepping for the parties, for the post game and stuff like that. And a lot of them are just going to go hit up the bars and whatnot and, like, you know, to do whatever the things are. And then the average fan, they're just like, well, my bones are achy and it's kind of cold. I think I'll just head home and beat traffic is essentially the idea behind this, unless they have real stuff to get done. But I don't believe that's real. What I'm saying is that we have a spoiled fan base. That's correct. Of privileged people because John Blake was a thing. Howard Schnellenberger was a thing. Um, you had you had just awful coach and placeholder before Bob Stoops, and Bob Stoops comes around and reinvigorates the fan base with his no excuses mentality. Hello, that's the name of his book. Uh, no excuses mentality. Uh, you know that first season they go like what seven and five. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the next season, national title, and they, everybody's like on the bandwagon, like, dude, screw this. We haven't had this in a while, so they savor it. The fans savor it, and they appreciate all of it, and, the, and they had that thing rocking, and it was because of Bob Stoops' early teams that they were able to expand the stadium up, up and up, and, and even put in more seats in the, and, and enclose the south end zone. And I'd say we became spoiled again around 2003. Yeah. I, I'd say that was the mark. And it was just like kept up. It was like OU football had never left. Exactly. And it's just like, oh, you know, Oklahoma's going to blow them out. They're going to blow them out. They're going to blow them out. And it gets to the point where you're like, well, since we're going to blow them out at halftime, we're just going to go and do our own thing. And the student section has been doing that since the mid-2000s. We're going to go get ready for the parties because we're about to blow this team out because it's halftime and yada, yada. Unless If it's a close game at halftime, people don't really leave. Um, so I blame this culture of privilege, uh, of being spoiled by great football coaches, um, and to where like, you know, 2010, it was the same. And then 2013 hit and it was a little odd because that was a team that all the games are roughly competitive. So the game stayed relatively not packed, but pretty full 14 People just didn't really show up because the team was garbage or people left early because the team was not very fun to watch at home. I I remember them in 2014 losing several home games. It was not fun. Um, and 2015, Baker shows up. And you're not going to leave if Baker Mayfield is there. Baker Mayfield is the show. Of course. He's the show. It's And he has the 10 other Sooners around him that he's – you know he's he's theatrical it's like watching it's like watching a concert you have one man a wild man making grand gestures and running down the field to celebrate with his teammates and it's like oh i want to be a part of this so everybody's there for baker 100 percent. and then we enter this again we enter this mo- motive of we're privileged we are spoiled 
we're going to blow this team out by 30. We're up by 21 at half. We're going to double that in the second half so people are leaving. And am I saying the the fans have a massive effect on the team? To an extent. To an extent, there's an energy thing there, especially if the game is that close as it was at the end of the Iowa State game. But am I saying, man, the fans are the issue? Hell no. They're not the issue. But they could be better. Of course. They're just I mean, spoiled, and that's that's it. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of complaints about the fans and the stadium environment and stuff like that, obviously. And, I mean, I won't go into all of that now. But I will say it's a little disappointing that it takes the perfect circumstances in order for OU's crowd to be jacked up. Yeah. Like, I, it's I'd, I'd say one in ten home games. Bob is, Stoops is had to call him out Maybe for 2008. Less. I mean, yeah. What's, what's the... Like, what is the most rowdiest crowd you've seen from OU since 2008? Oof. 2012 Florida State? That was a day game. That wasn't even a night game. Yeah, 2010. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, Ohio State, like, it was kind of a downer because of the rain delay, I remember. Yeah. Um, and being pounced on early and all that stuff. But, uh, man, I, I'm having trouble... That's a problem, right? I, I guess Notre Dame in Notre 2012, Dame. that was a good one. That was pretty good. But at the same time, OU never really they were, they were broke open. Game, yeah. And so, it, it, I mean, they were in the game the whole time, but yeah, they yeah, never yeah. really broke out, it felt like. So the crowd never really got into it. Mm-hmm. And then once they finally did, Notre Dame took the top off and ended up winning by three touchdowns. But, yeah, it's kind of hard to think of anything right now, honestly. Does that make you sad anyway? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it has to be the perfect conditions. It has to be a marquee opponent. It has to be a night game. Uh, the team has to be have be still in the uh, in a like national title con- yeah. Or, yeah, contending for a national title. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there are too many things that have to align in order for Memorial Stadium to. Really I have be an rocking. issue with our fans. Like we either have the people. And we we're not going to lose followers because of this, but we may lose we may catch some flack from the people that I'm about to talk about. We have people that are want you to sit down for the game. Yeah, that doesn't help. Like sit down, and then they're the ones that are leaving at halftime of because course. their bones hurt. Like, dude, shut up! And give somebody else your tickets that they've been waiting for ten years. Well, um, I've been coming to games for yeah, sixty years. I don't give a shit. Like it's like it's like come on. Like the same people that are telling you to sit down are the ones living at halftime because their bones hurt. Okay, well give your ticket to somebody else, somebody that'll stand at the entire game. And then of course we have the younger crowd that's gonna go party. I'm not, I'm not saying oh partying's bad. I'm saying like it's actually good. It's you know it's fine. It's a good time. But at the same time, like just stay. For, like, are you really gonna miss out? On an extra hour of your party when that thing goes till four in the morning to everybody's blacked out. Are you really going to remember that extra hour you stayed at the game? Problem is, like I said, halftime's a buzzkill. That's true. Ugh, man, it's just, it's ridiculous. And I just, and I've said this before, I wish our fans were more like LSU fans. Oh, every, well, yeah, of course. I wish our Very fans. Very few are like LSU fans. I wish though, our so. fans were more like a lot of fans from the SEC. Not and that's like I know it's like blasphemy to say this. Well, see, all, Bama, believe it or not, encounters a lot of the same issues we've been talking about. Really? Oh yeah, big even time. all the Saban's national been, titles. Saban's been calling them Jeez, out. Man. Well, see, because of like being spoiled. This is yeah. what we're talking about. Fans leave at halftime. Saban's called them out many times. 
OU fans and Alabama fans are kind of kindred spirits. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we get along whenever we play each it's other. True. But yeah, I mean, it, this isn't just isolated to Norman. I will say that. And I'll say that the the crowd actually sounds like the crowd. Because, like, growing up, my first game I ever went to was OU versus uh, North Carolina in 2001 after they won the national title. And then my most memorable game I've ever been to and there's several to choose from, but it's 2002 versus Alabama. Oh yeah, uh, that was a I thought great crowd. The crowd was cheering so loudly uh, a couple of times, especially during Ronaldo's run. Oh yeah, that I like as a kid, I thought the stadium was going to fall apart because I could feel the concrete vibrating. And that was before me. the uh, the East Upper Deck was yes, up too. Yes, and it's like you feel that way when the defense has actually come to play early in the season, like. You're getting set like the Texas game. Are you kidding me? Sack after sack after sack. Like you could feel it back. You could feel stuff. Of course, that wasn't a norm, but you could feel the crowd like really umph and stuff like that. Like when the defense gets a three and out, holy crap. When the defense is like getting pressure on the quarterback, you can feel it again. So I think, man, like I just wish Oklahoma's fans were so much better. We, we, we just makes me sad. Yeah. Nothing but, we can do about it, though. Like I was standing up the entire time, pretty much screaming, and like I was, I was sitting by some uh, Iowa State folks, and they were they're, they're nice people, man. They're, <laughs> they're the nicest they're, they're fans so in the Big nice. Twelve, and uh, some of the nicest fans in the country, I would say. And it, they were great, but the second half got underway, and what what the hell, you know? Like immediately, it was it was an immediate an immediate what the hell, because Oklahoma started, you know. Carrying on business, even though it, Iowa State scored, Oklahoma three now. You're like, okay, this game could be intriguing because that's what happened at Kansas State. Then Kennedy Brooks housed it, and you thought, oh, okay, everything's going to be all exactly. right. Exactly. So let's talk about it. Um, an underrated injury that people aren't talking about right now. Adrian Ely went down and was replaced by Eric Swenson. Eric Swenson went, went from left to right tackle, and then RJ Proctor came in at left tackle. I thought. Swenson was staying at left, and then you they put Proctor in at the that right. That was a little surprising. I thought that was odd. So that's underrated because of course, I mean, there's been no continuity on the offensive exactly, line. Exactly, exactly, and I agree 100. percent And that's good. that's an issue with the offensive line. So to me, honestly, and I'll talk about this later, they get a pass for a lot of things because they're just constantly shuffling in bodies, and that plays a factor in pass pro. That plays a factor in the run blocking during the fourth quarter. That wasn't going very well. Kenneth Mann goes out with a season-ending injury. Trey Sermon's out with a season-ending injury. The in the rumor mill, this is speculation. This is nothing that I that, that I'm reporting. This is nothing that is pure fact. This is nothing that I'm hearing by any means. But sp- speculation in where there's a lot of smoke. Sometimes there is fire, but again, now are you hearing the speculation from other people? I'm hearing the speculation from many people, um, but I don't want to say anything as fact because it's not what I'm trying to do. Okay. Um, Grand Calcaterra, they keep on saying, oh, we'll have to re-eval- reevaluate. We have to reevaluate. We have to reevaluate. Kind of like the Charles Walker stuff with, yeah. the, with the head. Calcaterra, like Charles Walker, has had several concussions in his career. It's to the point where, where sometimes there's smoke, a lot of smoke, that he may have to retire due to concussion protocol. Yeah, you saw that with David Ash at Texas. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, with some other uh, OE players as well. So. And, and again, I'm not reporting anything. I'm not saying that's fact, but I'm saying... That's the rumor. That's the speculation. That's the smoke. And, you know, Kenneth Mann, losing him, 
he's a depth guy, but he was a team captain a year ago, a guy that you would hate to lose. Trey Sermon, a very— Trey's your closer. A very, but a very— They haven't really needed that weird this year. Weird situation, but... though, right? A very weird year for him, wouldn't you say? Yo, like, yeah, very weird. At the beginning weird. of the year, I thought, he might turn pro early this year. Oh, I assumed coming into the year that that was going to be the case, even if he didn't have a huge year, just because of the shelf life of a yeah. running back in the NFL. And now but... I'm thinking, oh, man, this guy might hit the portal. And, of course, I'm not saying without any legitimate thoughts. I'm thinking he's getting – he's on the field sometimes, and but he's not getting he's not getting carries. And then the one time he does get a damn carry on the field, he has a, a leg injury, and it was bad. And it's just, it's just it's frustrating. And then of course your Grant Calcaterra, who makes your team better, hasn't been been able to play. He hasn't been able to go and keep on reevaluating him to the point of like, well, will he actually ever see the field again? So it's it's kind of concerning. And I mean, it's, it's it really sucks for those guys, Kenneth and Trey, that you know they mean a lot to the team. Trey Sermon has meant a lot to this team since Baker Mayfield was the quarterback. He was the closer ever since he was a freshman. Kenneth Mann, he made he has made so many big plays. And he was a captain last year, and people were so excited for him to come back to play another role on the team on the on defensive line. And he no longer is in the rotation as well. So, and he's a redshirt senior too, yeah, isn't he? Yeah. So he's just done. He's yeah, done. That sucks. He's done. So it's not great. Um, and it was just like, man, it, it kept on piling on towards the end. So, but let's talk about the quarterback. And this is something that. Uh, people maybe attribute to the lack of carries for maybe a trace sermon that was definitely the case in the kansas state game. it was yeah jalen hurts so is he the anti-trevor knight here what what is going on here is he not good at reads is he selfish with He's his not reads? selfish i don't think. is it somewhere selfish in is not the word i would use to describe is he jalen somewhere hurts? in between I would say, I guess, maybe his instincts are a little off with reads. Maybe you can attribute it to that. Selfishness is not the word I would use to describe uh, Jalen Hurts, though. That's you don't think sure. so? No. After a rewatch of the game, I'm not going to say he's selfish. But I am going to say I think he knows what his abilities are. Of course, yeah. And I think he trusts his abilities a little more than his counterparts sometimes to get that first down. Is that selfish? I don't think so. I think it's him trying to think, all right, is my big body going to get through this linebacker or is or is my running back going to have to cut across my body and turn up field and find a hole that the offensive line necessarily isn't, maybe not provide a hole for. So I don't think it's necessarily selfish, but sometimes just looking at a play, even on Saturday, I thought, why is he pulling that? Why is he running with, he needs, like, there's there were four or five times during Saturday when I said, man, if he just lets Kennedy have that ball, he's getting 20 yards at least. And Iowa State was keying in on Jalen the entire day. Entire day. They are like, dude, give the ball to Kennedy Brooks. We don't give a crap. They were looking for his runs, and he got stuffed a lot. And now, did he have successful runs? Yes. Did he have some plays that were downfield? Sure. Did he have some times where I thought he might throw an interception and fumble the ball more than once? Oh, yes, I did. Because Iowa State was king in on Jalen Hurts, and so is the rest of the Big 12. The rest of the Big 12 is catching up. 
with Jalen Hurts. They are the scouting report is out on Jalen, one hundred percent. And teams like TCU, they are more disciplined. They are maybe not more disciplined than Iowa State. They're it, both pretty disciplined. They're disciplined. I think Gary Patterson's your damn head coach. Yeah. But instead of having, and this is gonna sound bad, instead of having guys from Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio, or what have you, and even some Texas kids that Matt Campbell's recruited, you've got all those DFW Houston athletes from TCU. Their defense isn't bad. And the more tape you get on Jalen, the more successful you're going to be able to be. So I am i don't know. I don't think – I think Jalen's still work learning the offense, and I think he has a cap on what he can do. Now, switching to the other side of the ball, Alex Grinch, just right after the game, he says, this is an embarrassing stretch of football, an embarrassing display of football. What is going on here? Is, is this a regression? Is this a poor couple of games? What has happened to the defense? People aren't mentioning this enough, but JMT being out, clearly having an impact. Yeah. I think. I mean, granted, he missed that West Virginia game, and West Virginia's offense isn't great. And you sort of saw Nick Benito yeah. and uh, the backups doing you know fairly well. At that position. And there wasn't, enough, then, there wasn't enough tape on Nick Benito. Of course, yeah. And But now it's uh, they're not really making much of a difference in games. They are literally in the shot, in the, in the back in the backfield in the shotgun, tossing it to the a, a sweep yeah. to the running back right to where Benito is because whereas John Michael Terry would be able to contain the edge, he was really he was underrated, so yeah. good at setting the edge and to contain the play. Nick Benito is having, it seems like he's going back to spring ball where he's having a couple, two negative plays for every positive play, and he's just not as agile as John Michael Terry is as getting around and shedding blocks. So that's been an issue. Another issue that I'm like losing my mind about because I don't get is the defensive line has been non-existent since Texas. What happened to Neville Gallimore? Again, for how many years in a row? Three we thought he had turned the page. Then maybe I'm not ruling him out yet, but the last two games have been upsetting. Because, like we said this, yeah. Granted, he's gone up against two very good offensive lines, but he's good enough to where that shouldn't matter all that much. And I know he's talented enough to where it shouldn't matter all that much. I know offensive lines are scheming Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore out of these plays. I know the offensive line is scheming Oklahoma strengths away to they're making. Pieces like Nick Benito important. You're making guys like making guys like Deshaun White and uh, Justin Broyles or Delarian Turniel important because you're scheming out the big players between Ronnie Perkins, Neville Gallimore, and Kenneth Murray. If you can neutralize those three guys in the front seven, well, you might have a tough day. And I mean, it's just been the defensive line one gapping scheme was getting so much pressure even through Texas Tech. And through Kansas, and then it was uh, it was just it, you haven't seen anything since they didn't get a sack versus Kansas, but since the Kansas game, it's just been like or since the Texas game because Kansas was before Texas. Te- Can- oh, that's right. That's right. So they I, had nine against Texas. That's right. But still, it was just like they're getting plenty of pressure, and that's right. They go to K State. After you know all that stuff, and then you have two, you have a week and a bye. You have Iowa State, no pressure, and of course they're running right out of you. 
and that's not not going to help anything because I think Kansas State possibly has devised that, hey, let's take the fight to OU. That way they cannot get, you know, they can't get positive. They can't get negative plays. They can't get negative um, yardage tackles. Or they're going to bully Oklahoma, and we'll talk about that later. But it just, I've been so, so unimpressed with the defensive line because we talk about Neville Galdemore every year. The lights finally turned on, or has it? Again, we're still, we have questions again because we haven't heard his name. Ronnie Perkins, where are you at, dude? Jalen Redmond, where are you at? Haven't seen you. LaRon Stokes, I've heard his name called a few times. Q Overton, um, you know, he's he's a he's a depth guy, but had the game of his life against Kansas State, and they lost. Um, and then Dylan Palma taught you, I don't even see the man, um, not making anything. It's just like, what the, what the heck is going on? Uh, it's just really frustrating to me. And I, I, I can't I can't stand it. And it felt like a loss. The mood after the game between fans, players, coaches, felt like a loss. So is there who or a what that you blame regarding defensive this, execution, this performance? Particularly then, in the secondary. Well, and maybe let's say this performance. And up front, not being able to get any pressure. Just the whole the defense as a whole, yeah. honestly. Let's, let's say Iowa State, Kansas State to Iowa State, that three week bubble where things have gone awry. Who or what would you have to blame here? Same well, thing still? Part of the reason Oklahoma's been so successful defensively is they were getting back to the basics. Yes. They've lost sight of that, it seems, in the past few games. The tackling's been terrible. I was in the North End Zone. Oh some, o- some old lady said that uh, the Sooners need to go to tackling school. That oh. made me laugh. But well, Are they? Is she wrong, though? No. <laughs> you know? They do need to go to tackling school. Coach Grinch teaches tackling school. They just need tackling fuel. There, oh, there you go. Tackling fuel. I have I have a list of Do things, you? and and I, I said you know before the podcast on Twitter I said hey I might lose cannon it tonight I might be pretty angry I might be pretty hot takey tonight and I it's I, a podcast hot takes are allowed and I'm gonna run off a list of who or what to blame over this stretch of three weeks and I have problems right now and some of it isn't that necessarily You're about to air your grievances oh this that is correct Christmas season Festivus season's coming up so you know seasonally appropriate I guess. Some of it has to do with just these three weeks and a couple of the big picture items, specifically the last one that's most exciting that I know some people are looking forward to, is very big picture and not just to this uh, these three-game stretch. But things I want I blame for this lack of performance and this, 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 this culture of like feeling upset after a win against Iowa State and not in losing at Kansas State. I already said it. Defensive line pressure. What the hell, you know? And I don't. I don't need to say anything more because I just went on a rant about it a second ago. The second one. Oh my God! Safety plays so bad. It's bad. Patrick Fields. I don't know what the hell he's doing half the time. And when he's not doing what he's supposed to do half the time, he's missing a tackle. So I don't know what he's doing. Usually, in in, in a run support, sometimes he's in the right spot, but won't make the tackle, and it makes me freaking lose my mind delarian turner yell no idea what this man is doing half the time like he gets fooled by he gets fooled by the sweeps and they just run kolar underneath and you know (laughs) tight ends running underneath a a late release leaking routes just killing the safeties and it's just it blows my mind 
They need better safety play. And we've been saying that for too long. If Alex Grinch had a Stephen Parker and like Gabe Lynn or Al- or if he had anybody else, if he had Stephen Parker and somebody from 2015, he would be so much better off right now. It it blows my mind. Um, D, uh, tackling, yes, we took cover tackling. They've been a good tackling team this year. What the hell has happened the last three weeks? What? I don't get it. So I don't know. In well, I will say this past Saturday was super slippery. It was the, the field was slick. Guys were like, just like guys are trying to cut. And there were a few. There were several plays actually, where you would see a tight end or somebody wide open. Defensive back would go to cut in the grass, and he would just fall flat down. So the grass had issues, but still, come on, do something. <laughs> like this is this is not rocket science here. Um, I'm gonna say defense as a whole for being soft. They got punched in the face versus Cam. We spend the, all of our time leading up to the Texas game. Oh, will Oklahoma, will Oklahoma be aggressive? Will Oklahoma be the more physical one? Will Oklahoma be out physical by Texas once again? And Oklahoma showed they were far more physical than Texas, and they got punched in the damn mouth by the Wildcats. And then, in the, like on both sides of the ball, and then Iowa State. They took it to Oklahoma on both sides of the line, specifically in the second half. Oklahoma's offensive line couldn't do a lot in the second half. And they made adjustments. I'm saying I'm going to give the O-line a pass, even though they've been an issue. Uh, they've been starting different lineups like every other week. <laughs> you know, that's kind of a, that's an issue, of course, for obvious reasons. Jalen's inability to... Read defenses wholly. He takes one, maybe two reads, and takes off. It's not good. That's not what you can do in a Lincoln Riley offense. That's not how that works. You cannot just say, I'm going to take my one read and zoom. That's not what effective Lincoln Riley quarterbacks do, but that's what Jalen Hurts is trying to do. And not only Jalen's inability to read the defense so far, his decision-making as of late has been piss-poor. He's not trusting the throw, so he goes for something else. And sometimes he decides the route, what he's going to throw before before the ball's even snapped. And that's something that you saw Baker do maybe early, very early, and he settled in, and he would actually start to read through it. This is an Iowa State style of defense that gave Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray problems. So it was definitely going to give Jalen Hurts problems and just Jalen's inability to read the defenses well and to have that pristine decision making has I I hate to say it this the dude like scored three four times didn't have uh, he had that one crucial 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 interception um but man it was it's just gotta be better and he even said he's like man I made some bad decisions that almost put the team in and in some type of way, um, but you know the team came through. But at the same time, it's like, dude, almost the team's detriment. Um, Lincoln's play calling has been kind of rough the past couple games, and him as an offensive guy, him as like 
an offensive guru, him as the like the the genius big brain offensive man that he is, everybody knows there's a cap on what Jalen can run offensively. And Lincoln, in order to go three and zero these next few games and get in the Big Twelve title game and be successful there, Lincoln has to put that big brain hat back on and call big brain hat. I like yeah, that. big brain hat. Lincoln's gonna be able got to be able to put that big brain hat, galaxy brain back on, and tailor that offense in his calls specifically to what Jalen Hurts can run and what he can run well because so far. Jalen, why why is Lincoln Riley coming out and saying, "I put our guys in bad positions again"? My play calling was bad, and it's like, I mean, you, you just got to figure it out. I mean, you're you are Lincoln Riley, but at the same time, if Jalen Hurts is not willing to go past his first read, what can Lincoln do? So there's a duality there, and that's an issue as well. And lastly. It all comes full circle, especially regarding the defense. And by the way, I looked at Oklahoma's 39th in defensive S&P, S&P Plus, and that's before they play Baylor. That's before they play Oklahoma State. Um, that's far cry from last year. But you have a coach that recently retired from the University of Oklahoma and a coach that was recently fired from the University of Oklahoma where during the end of their tenure, the Stoops brothers, the brothers Stoops, kind of fell asleep um, during recruiting season, specifically on defense. Mike was a great closer defensively. That Dakota-Austin guy, whew, great. Outstanding. Outstanding. What a um, but no, like... He tackled the right person, like, half the time at least. But it's just, you have guys falling asleep, essentially, like, at the end of his tenure, and then us thinking, like, we're not us as fans and us as looking at the game, we're not thinking Bob has handed Lincoln a shit show on defense. They've made three of the four college football playoffs. He handed him a great team. No, what Bob did was he handed Lincoln Baker Mayfield and the rest of the offense that Lincoln started recruiting and got stuck with Mike and the defense that like that they recruited but a defense that nobody fit anywhere. I work I work with somebody, uh, I'm not going to say explicitly who he is, but he was on the defensive line as a walk-on for OU, and we talked at length about you know Mike and other guys and Jerry Montgomery and all these other guys um, in the program and, and Dyron Reynolds. And they would just recruit guys. Based upon stars, um, you recruit guys, and based upon like, what was it, rating and not necessarily fit for the defense. Ricky DeBerry, where was he ever going to fit in a Mike Stoops defense? Nowhere. And you have the you have guys that like, look look at this defense right now, that are holdovers from Mike. Who is it? Neville Gallimore? He would start somewhere else. Kenneth Murray would get playing time. Not at Mike. At outside linebacker somewhere else. Ronnie Perkins is new. Um, would Q Overton start anywhere else? He doesn't start for OU. So, like, you know. Um, 
Let's look at the defensive backs. DeLarian Turner-Yale. Where would he start in the Big 12? Definitely nowhere at this stage in his career. Where, well, maybe a few other places in the Big 12, but nationally, as far as like highly ranked teams, probably nowhere. Patrick Fields, where would he start? You know, um, you know Robert Barnes. He was a five-star kid, but dang, it's like it's like on NCAA when you don't do the scouting and the guy's a bust, and that happens so many times. So like, you're gifted this Ferrari of an offense because of what Lincoln was able to do, especially with Bill Bedenbo coming in and Kale being a master recruiter at running back in other positions. So the offense was never really an issue. Then you ha- you're gifted, essentially, Baker Mayfield, and then Link comes in and is able to do other things as well. And then you're still stuck with these defensive holdovers that it's just like, what the hell? You gave us a goose egg of an Easter basket. There's nothing in here. Instead of me getting plastic eggs, I got freaking like hard, half-hard-boiled eggs. And no one wants that. It all falls on Mike, who's over, who's overseer basically is Bob Lincoln. Had to call Bob and say, "What do you think about me firing Mike? Like, how how do, how do I do that? Could I do that? First of all, <laughs> like, what? You're the head coach of Oklahoma, not Bob. Lincoln is, and he called Mike's older brother, saying, "Hey, how do I do this? Is this okay? What do you think about this? No, fire the man." Because right now, his stink is still on the program. Alex Grinch even mentioned it at the presser again. We have a tendency to say, my bad. We need to get that out of us. He's not talking Ruffin McNeil. He's not talking right now. He's talking Mike Stoops. He says, we have an issue with tackling guys when other guys should have made the tackle. We need to get that out of us as well. He's not talking Ruffin McNeil. He's not talking Brent Venables. He's talking Mike Stoops and the players that were coached or were yelled at by Mike Stoops for the how many years. It doesn't work. So I had that was like a list of eight things. And I ranted for like 15 minutes and I'm thoroughly pissed. Um, but we've got some exciting times for you guys. We're about or to do get you a, feel better now. Oh, I feel, I feel I feel angry, but great. Is that is that a thing? Is that healthy? I don't know, but like, uh, I, and I'm not saying you're wrong about the Stoops thing at all. I do think that stink is there, but I will say that your thing with the Stoops brothers is similar to Walter from the Big Lebowski with Vietnam and always equating it to everything in every situation. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's happening here with the Stoops brothers. Big Lebowski is a great movie. It's my favorite movie. Pissed the dude pissed on my rug, man. Obviously, you're not a golfer. <laughs> but hey, guys, something more lighthearted. Me and Jack were joined by Shehan Jayaraja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Um, he'll be right after the break discussing stuff from Baylor. It's a good time. Um, we'll see you guys after the break. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, guys, today we are joined by Shehan Jayaraja from Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Shehan, thanks for coming on the podcast. You've got to say it with the Waterburger voice, though. Dave Campbell's <laughs> Texas Football. Sounds like King of the Hill. 
<laughs> we're getting to King of the Hill later on here. Okay, I'm excited. Then. <laughs> I'm all about King of the Hill. How are you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on. All right, uh, let's get the ball rolling here. Uh, Baylor, obviously, plenty of weapons at the skill positions, but the offense, uh, number 34 in offensive SP+, which is you know good but not great here in 2019. We've seen the group combined for 26 points in regulation over the past two games. So what's been holding this group back from being the elite offense that we thought Baylor might be coming into this season? Well, and even with that, I think it's the elite offense that they were a little bit earlier in the year, too. Uh, You know, one thing that's kind of happened is the offensive line has dealt with some injuries. You know, left tackle Connor Galvin has been out for a little bit. Uh, Right tackle Blake Bedier has kind of struggled to fill in that role as they've moved over Casey Phillips from the right side to the left side. Um, And the offensive line against West Virginia especially really struggled. I mean, I think that in that game they had like eight sacks or something like that. It was ridiculous. And, And ultimately, you know, when your offensive line has issues like that, which is something that Baylor had largely fixed early in the season and even against an Iowa State and Oklahoma State. uh, When you start having issues again, that's when Baylor is a little bit more susceptible. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily long-term issues. I think these are things that can be fixed, but uh, it is something that definitely reared its head the last two weeks. And the other thing against TCU especially was that Charlie Brewer just didn't look quite right for the whole game. You know, he looked like he had some issues getting the ball down the field. Uh, You know, he was very reluctant to kind of go behind the sticks or beyond the sticks rather. Uh, And I don't know whether that's just being tentative. I don't know if that's play calling. I don't think it is. Um, And I don't know whether it's just uh, he felt like that's what was there. Um, But but ultimately for Baylor to be a good team and to be a good offense and to be the offense that we know that they are, they have to be willing to throw the ball deep. And if Charlie Brewer is dealing with some sort of nagging injury, that's going to be a big issue for their offense. Right. And speaking of the offense, Baylor's, they run the ball 55% of its snaps this season. So with guys like Lovett and Hasty leading the way, what kind of dimension does each of those running backs bring to the table? Yeah, they're very different types of backs, which is kind of the interesting thing about this offense. Uh, you know, you have, you mentioned Michael Hasty, probably the most complete running back of the group. Uh, he's not necessarily a guy who's going to break away so much, but he's big, he's strong. Uh, even though he's only, I think, listed at 5'8", he's still a very thick presence, so he's able to withstand some contact. Uh, he's running through the tackles a whole lot, um, and he's a very good blocker. He kind of does everything. He's kind of their true all-purpose back. Uh, Love it is a lot more explosive I'd say Uh, he's gained a lot of weight the last couple of years because when he came in as a freshman he was really skinny he was really just kind of a scat back now he's able to run through the tackles a little bit better Um, but he's a little bit more of your sort of not home run hitter necessarily but your quicker back and the guy who kind of balances him out is also Tristan Ebner who has been injured the last couple of weeks but He's the guy who they, you know, can get to run through the tackles, but is also a really good receiver. He actually was brought in originally as a receiver when he was recruited out of high school, but they moved him to running back because of need. So they all kind of provide a little bit of a different look. And depending on who's on the field, uh, you you know, they kind of give you a different look and, and sort of force you to defend in a different way. Now, with Brewer now in his third year in the program, how has he developed as a QB since the last time the Sooners saw him? Yeah, I think he's continuously got better. Uh, 
Now, I will say, again, the last week or two, especially, he's struggled to throw the ball down the field, but he's a very good decision maker. He's as accurate a quarterback as you're going to find in this program. Um, And obviously, having those kinds of weapons around him, like Denzel Mims, Tyquan Thornton, Chris Platt, that's a big deal, obviously, but he's the guy who makes this offense go. And you really saw in that TCU game, you know, when he was struggling through most of regulation, Baylor's offense couldn't do much of anything consistently. But when he kind of gets things going when he's able to be accurate when he's able to stand in the pocket and not feel like he's under pressure especially uh he's as good as anybody and now i say that for the first two years of his baylor career in 2017 and 2018 he was playing behind terrible offensive lines and this offensive line hasn't been great for the whole year but it's better than what he's dealt with so he's a guy who can make plays under pressure and he's a guy who especially last season was somebody who just kept the chains moving. I mean, I think that Baylor ended up finishing top in the Big 12 in first downs. And the reason for that is because Charlie Brewer can just make those plays that get you eight yards, six yards to keep the chains moving down the field. So he's continued to improve on that. And and really up until the last week or so, he has improved his deep ball a whole lot. Now, again, is that an injury? Is that just, you know, not getting up for a game? I don't know what it is. Uh, But if Brewer can't throw that deep ball, that's going to be something that you're going to need to keep an eye on if you're Oklahoma's defense. So before I ask this next question, I just want to say, because it, it pertains to Matt Rule, and when uh, Matt Rule's like my my head coach crush, if I were to have another head coach in the conference <laughs> be at Oklahoma, besides Lincoln Riley, I would choose Matt Rule. And when Dude me, wears green jackets, yeah, Big oh 12 media days. What a power move. Yeah, and me, when me and Jack were riding <laughs> down that elevator, that was basically a like a what an equipment shaft pretty much. Yeah. We got to uh, we shared it with Matt Rule, and I was like hyperventilating in the corner because I think he <laughs> is crush. 100% awesome. But in less than three years, Matt Rule has actually completely shifted that culture and that team identity of the Baylor football program to what it was when they had Art Bryles. What steps has he really taken to accomplish doing that and that turnover? Yeah, a big part is obviously just culture. I mean, every coach talks about culture, but Matt Rule is somebody who really lives it out. Um, You know, just in terms of trying to get guys on the field and in the program who are going to follow what he wants to do, who are going to understand his leadership model, who are going to understand what kind of program he wants to play with. And and a big part of that is a culture of physicality. And that's something that I think that Alex Grinch, for example, has done a good job of bringing in at Oklahoma. Just, you know, you're going to play physical. You're going to get in people's faces. You're not going to play finesse. You're not going to play scared. You're going to get up and play with people. And For the last two years, that got them burned a whole lot. You know, I mean, Baylor was one of the worst teams in the Big 12 in terms of defending big plays their first two years there. But now, because they kind of stuck the course and and taught those concepts, now all of a sudden that's starting to pay off with a very aggressive play, winning at the line of scrimmage, stuff like that. Um, and, And I think that that's something that Matt Rule really, you know, hangs its hat on, is that ability to come in and uh, get people to play physical, to play together, uh, to be prepared. And and look, he's really good at also the little relationship stuff too when it comes to players in terms of connecting with them, making them believe. And that's one of the reasons that he's been able to, to have so much success. And the other thing that you say too is that you know, Matt Rule runs a very good developmental program. And a lot of these guys who you're seeing on the field now are guys who have been there in many cases since 2017 when they were freshmen and sophomores. So over the course of multiple years, you see this improvement happening to the point of, you know, now you're in year three and a lot of these guys are year three in the program, year three in the defense, especially. You start to see these results. So 
I mean, it is kind of interesting, right? You know, you have a Lincoln Riley, for example, who's this great offensive mind, and that's what he's known for. And even Tom Herman, you know, he was a, a national championship coach on offense. Uh, and, and on the other side, like Gary Patterson, he's a guy who comes in and his scheme on defense is going to be the thing that you know about him. Matt Rule doesn't really have that per se. Like he's a good defensive coach. But the way that he runs his program from the top and the culture he instills, uh, you know, again, you hear it with a lot of programs, but he's one of those guys who really takes that and really makes sure that the program embodies what he wants it to embody. Now, going back to the offensive weapons, OU fans, they're obviously familiar with senior wide receiver Denzel Mims at this point. But who else amongst Brewers targets do OU fans need to be aware of heading into Saturday? Yeah, the biggest other one is Tyquan Thornton, and he's a guy who started to emerge a little bit at the end of last season, but this year he's really stepped up to become the number two receiver. Uh, He's just a dynamic player. I mean, he's somebody who could probably fit in really well in Oklahoma's receiving core, for example, you know, because he's just one of those guys who's just dynamic, so super, super fast uh, from Miami, Florida originally. Uh, And he's just one of those guys who when you get them when you get him sort of angling up the field, he's really, really hard to stop. Another guy who's really broken out the last couple of weeks is Josh Fleeks, uh, who's a redshirt freshman, I want to say, from Cedar Hill, where, uh, you know, Baylor has an assistant who used to coach at Cedar Hill. And he's just one of those dynamic players who you can put at running back, you can put at receiver, you can put him in the slot, you can put him outside. He's just one of those playmakers that you can put anywhere on the field and he's going to make plays. So he's the type of player that I think you have to account for almost every single play. Now, Baylor's doing something that Oklahoma currently wishes they will be doing next year, which is Baylor currently has the number 14 defense in defensive S&P rankings, S&P Plus, after being 85th last year in the same category. What has been the key? What have been the keys to such drastic improvement just over a season? Yeah, a big thing that they did uh, was changing up the scheme a little bit. So, you know, in the Big 12 these days, because of teams like Oklahoma that can pass the ball like that, uh, a lot of teams have moved towards playing sort of a base nickel and a base dime package, right? Where you're playing with five true defensive backs and and Baylor plays a linebacker named Blake Lynch who has played safety for them before as well. So, I mean, they're kind of playing a little bit of a hybrid dime defense. And the other thing that's, uh, that's kind of made that possible is the development uh, with their front because they move from a four man front to a three man front, which is obviously something that, uh, that Iowa state has really pioneered in this conference. Um, And it's working really well because they have those three guys that have been able to cause issues. You know, James Lynch is the best player on this defense. He's the guy who makes everything go. I would not be surprised at all to see him be an all American at the end of the year because he is, arguably the best defensive player in the Big 12 right now. Um, But Bravion Roy at defensive tackle too. He's a big body who's able to cause issues. And you saw last week against TCU, TCU often had to double team both of those guys, which left open opportunities for James Lockhart, the other defensive end, or for the linebackers to jump in or for the defensive backs to rush. You know, so they have gone from, you know, playing very aggressive defense for sure, but playing with more of their front seven to, okay, we're going to try to win with three, and then we're going to try to have a bunch of defensive backs who have been in the program multiple years at this point. We're going to have them stay back and try to more prevent big plays. And that's been huge because last year they weren't that far away from being a good defense. It was just all the big plays. And now you're starting to see as they have five true defensive backs back there at all times, that has kind of limited the uh, the big plays that Baylor's allowed. And and ultimately, you know, that combined with the pressure that this front has gotten has been able to really cause a lot of teams a lot of issues. Now, many fans, myself included, 
We'll be making the trip down to Waco this week for the game. Uh, this is going to be sort of a three-part question. First one. Okay. Where can OU fans shake their booty on Friday night in Waco? Which bars do you absolutely recommend? <laughs> okay, well, the uh, the go-to one, and this isn't a place that I necessarily uh, patronize a whole lot, but the, the place is called Scruffy Murphy's. Uh, it is the... It's the typical trashy college bar. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, great place to get drinks. Uh, yeah, I mean, it it is a wild place. It's where everybody loves to go on the weekends. There's some there's some nicer places, especially if you're you know, if, especially if you're a little bit older than college age. There's some other stuff on Austin Street. Uh, I'm trying to remember what some of those places are called, but just just look on Austin Street. There's a couple of <laughs> slightly nicer bars in those areas too. But but if you're a college kid, Scruffy Murphy's is the move. All right, so where should people eat when they're in Waco? Huh, that's always a tough question. Um, you know, so so there's a lot of different options, right? It depends on what sort of food you're into. So one of the big places that just opened up now is Guest Family Barbecue. It's a really good Texan barbecue place. Um, for me, you know, I I love this place called Cafe Cappuccino. It's like a brunch spot in Waco. It's it's kind of a classic spot. There's a whole bunch of food trucks around the silos at Magnolia, obviously, and there's a couple on University Parks as well. The big sort of classic restaurant that people go to in Waco is George's, which is like a Southern food place, which, I mean, I like it. It's not like my favorite restaurant. I didn't go there a whole ton, but that's like the go-to spot if you want to get like a chicken fried steak or something like that. Uh, and the other sort of classic spot is this place called Vtex, which it's a barbecue place, but it's kind of like a more of a quicker barbecue place. And they've got this thing called the Gut Pack which is basically a Frito pie, but covered in barbecue meats instead. So that's also something that, uh, that if you've never had that before, you might want to check that out. All right. Last but not least, where should OU fans try to tailgate before the game? I assume the river. Yeah. 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 Along the river is really the best area. Um, I mean, you know, on, on MLK sort of across the stadium, there's just a lot going on. Uh, and actually the best thing that you can do is is go close to the stadium and there's a huge tailgate area sort of by the track complex. That's really where uh, most of the Baylor people tailgates and, you know, Baylor fans are really friendly. I mean, they're not going to give anybody any grief for trying to jump in there and tailgate with them too. So along the river uh, on an MLK and kind of behind the stadium are really the three best places to do it. And the one thing that I say too, is that if you walk along the river you know, there are people on boats sailgating is what they call it uh, in that area. So that's definitely something to uh, to try and look at if you've never seen it before. All right, Shayhan, who is your favorite Baylor athlete of all time? Oh, my favorite Baylor athlete of all time. Oh, man. Uh, let's see. I mean, obviously, I was there from 2012 to 2016 when I was a student, Uh you know, so I'm I'm particular to to Rico Gathers. I don't know if you remember him, the the basketball oh, player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he was he was a badass. A, still a bit of a badass he, on the football field. Or is he? Still, oh yeah, is he still with the Cowboys, or did he get cut? He got cut. I think he got maybe a practice squad deal with the Browns. I think he's still in the mm-hmm. NFL. Um, but he is just man. He was just one of those players who, when he came in, I was just like, I don't understand what the vision is. You know, <laughs> like like what kind of basketball player is this dude supposed to be? He's like six foot eight. He's like two hundred and eighty pounds, but he he doesn't move like LeBron necessarily. Even though he's really athletic, he's just not that skilled. But then he just kept eating rebounds for four years and ended up becoming the leading rebounder in the history of the program. So uh, he is a fun, fun player, and uh, you know, I'm also gonna try to. Let me think. I, I'm going to try to think if I can think of a of another sport. Oh, another girl that I want to uh, shout out is Whitney Canyon, who was a pitcher for Baylor softball, who I covered back in 2014. 
she basically carried them to the Women's College World Series. Now, I know that obviously Oklahoma has all the great softball players, so I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure you guys have your own names, but uh, but Whitney Canyon for Baylor was was a really, really special pitcher. Who was the greatest Texan of all time? <laughs> oh, man, the greatest Texan of all time. Oh, I don't know. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, <laughs> greatest Texan <laughs> of all time. Man, I'd argue that the greatest Texan of all time is actually from Tennessee, David Crockett. How about that? Thinking outside uh, the no. box here. No, no, no. I'm out on that. <laughs> I'm out on that. <laughs> um, I mean, it's a, it obviously depends on who you ask. Uh, I'm a big fan of former Governor Ann Richards, for example. I think that she is a fantastic Texan. Um, it might be a little before everybody else's time, but she was like a badass Texan woman who became governor um let me think who else is there man oh man that's that's a really tough question i don't know if i'm going to be able to to give you a good answer right now because that's something that i'd have to think about for a week (laughs) yeah that's fair but the more pressing question right now is who would win in a fight between matt rule and lincoln riley oh man i matt rule has so much size on lincoln that's the issue like lincoln's so skinny like i mean matt rule would be able to hold him down i think don't you think he's wiry he is yeah, wiry. See, Riley's a little wiry too, I think, though. I don't know. No, no, no. I think Riley would have the reach advantage on him too. That's the thing. I, I think, think he would. I think Rule might sit on him. Right. That's true. He that's might what, sit on that's him. That's what I think. That's yeah. what I think. Is I think that he just, if he could get on top of him at any point, I think it's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. You, you set me up perfectly for this one with your response to the Texans one. I was going to ask, did Baylor grad Ann Richards have the best celebrity cameo of King of the Hills run? You know, I, I have to be honest with you. I, I didn't really watch King of the Hill growing up. Oh, so yes. I'm so sorry. I, I, I could see it coming from a mile away that you were going to ask something about this. And, and I'm sorry. I, I've Damn it, down. Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one, though. She yeah, was that the she got mooned, she yeah. mooned by and Hank? she ended up dating uh, Bill. Bill. Yeah, jeez. Oh, why is Bill dating all the people? <laughs> Bill had a very eclectic group of lovers throughout the run of that show. It, it was it was an odd deal. And at one point, he was a bodybuilder. That's true. Yeah, he was training with Macho Man Randy Savage. That's right. Jeez. What a show. Man, well, oh, man. I, I have to catch up at yeah, some dude, point. I mean, I, I feel Hulu. like if I, I'm from Texas, Hulu. like I got to, right? 100%. Yeah. <laughs> all right. What's one thing about the University of Baylor? Um, or that, Baylor University. Or Baylor, is it Baylor University. University? BU? Or is it UB? It's BU. <laughs> BU. Okay. I'm sorry if I offended any Baylor <laughs> no. fans. What is one thing about the Baylor University that you think um, OU fans should be aware of just in general? Um, well, first of all, that it's called Baylor University because uh, because I'll tell you what, a lot of kids commit to Baylor and, and drop the whole University of Baylor thing. And it's always something that uh, they get some play on Twitter. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I will say, did you see that somebody dropped a University of Texas A&M today? That might have oh, been my favorite I've ever seen. Their alumni base doesn't get offended by stuff like that easily. They're, like a, small, like, that. they're, they're like a small terrorist group. I swear, Texas <laughs> A&M is. Jeez. I'm not, uh, I cover uh, every school in Texas, so I'm going to go ahead and not comment on that part of it. Uh, but We know how you feel. <laughs> um let's see something that people need to know about baylor uh i i think that's you know look my name is shahan Raja. i'm you know my parents are sri lankan immigrants i think that people need to know that baylor university of all schools is the most diverse school in the big 12 
Yeah, I, I don't think that people would necessarily think that because I, I would not have thought that. I'm not gonna lie. There's obviously a reputation around it, and even I mean, even among the kids who go there, but it actually is a lot more than what you think it is. And uh, and no, I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily what you had in mind, but it's uh, it's no, something I think that's that I perfect. think. I think that people don't necessarily realize how, uh, you know, and, and it's not just obviously people talk about kind of racial diversity, but like it's it's a really interesting place because I kind of, you know, when I went there, I wasn't sure what to expect. But I mean, it ended up being a good place for me. And, and I'll tell you what, like I met my wife there and she's a Indian Hindu, you know, <laughs> like I, I it's, it's not necessarily uh, what a lot of people think it is. So I had a really great experience there, even though you know, on the surface, I would not look like the top of type of person who would go to Baylor. Okay, finally, how do you see this one playing out on Saturday? Yeah, so if I was confident that Charlie Brewer was fully healthy, which I'm not right now, I think I'd be a little bit more likely to pick Baylor. Um, you know, I think that they actually are going to be able to do some things against Oklahoma's uh, offense because I think that with their defensive backs, and the level that they've been playing at right now, like obviously, you know, you have to double CD Lamb, like you just have to. But I think that their defensive backs are good enough that they can at least put up a fight against some of those other receivers and leave a decent amount of guys in run protection, which I think is the key to not stopping Oklahoma because nobody can stop Oklahoma, but to at least slowing them down a little bit. Uh, the big question I have right now, though, is with Charlie Brewer looking a little shaky and with the offensive line also looking a little shaky, that's where it becomes an issue for me. Because if Baylor could stand up and definitely block those guys and give Brewer time, I think that Baylor definitely has the skill position talent to test that secondary and cause issues for them. But I'm a little worried about that. And I'm a little worried that that if Brewer's not fully healthy, if he's not throwing the ball down the field, Baylor could get down by a couple of touchdowns. Um, you know, and, and I'm curious to see how they call this game. I mean, I think that they will be more aggressive about running some read option and running some quarterback draws and stuff like that to try to cause Oklahoma's def defense some issues. But I think at this point, uh, I just think that I trust C.D. Lamb and I think I trust Kennedy Brooks a little bit more than what I trust Baylor's offense. So I think it's going to be a really competitive game. I think it's going to be a little lower scoring than people think, but I do think that Oklahoma finds a way to pull it out. There you go. All right. Well, Jalen, thank you for so much for joining us to talk for about 20 minutes. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. And, uh, and if you don't know, I mean, I am a Baylor alum, but I cover every single school in the state of Texas. And that actually goes not just the FBS schools, but technically I'm responsible for all 47 college football programs in the state of Texas, all the way down to the Charlton States and Mary Harden Baylor. So if you have, any desire to read about uh, Texas college coverage, I'm your guy. And and also, if you're a Texas high school football fan, I mean, you have to go to our website because we have all of the best uh, insiders and info when it comes to Texas high school football. So texasfootball.com. You can also follow me at Shahan J. Raj on Twitter. I tweet all my articles from there. And uh, yeah, I'd really appreciate it if you, uh, if you gave us a follow. All right, Jack. This Saturday, the Oklahoma Sooners and Lincoln Riley they're traveling down to Waco at the McLean Stadium, which actually looks like a toilet bowl if you think about it, um, to play the Baylor Bears. 6.30 p.m., primetime ABC. OU's actually favored after, like immediately, not long after they, they came out winning by uh, against Iowa State by one. Came out as a 10-point favorite, double-digit again, favorite against the Baylor Bears. It's actually the lowest line for the Sooners this year. Which is not surprising. 
But still, that's that that line surprised me. Ten points, a home game for Baylor. Open nine and a half, but I guess it's ten now. Yeah. So let's talk about some stuff that maybe Shahan hasn't didn't touch on. And does Baylor do what Oklahoma is seemingly inept at stopping lately? Will the Baylor Bears, just like Kansas State, just like Iowa State tried it as well. Do they try to bully the Sooners by just shoving them on offense? See, the thing is, the two most experienced offensive lines in the Big 12 are Iowa State and Kansas State, as far as combined starts are concerned. Mm -hmm. Those are two very good offensive lines. Baylor's offensive line, as of late, has been ass. It's a patchwork. I mean, they scored 17 in regulation against West Virginia and then Mm -hmm. 9 in regulation against TCU. Mm -hmm. They have great players at the skill positions. So why do you think that's happening? It's the offensive line being very mediocre. Yep. So you would think that this would be an opportunity, perhaps, for the defense to make a statement. You know, people are talking all about how the narrative is shifting with Oklahoma's defense because of that Iowa State game. And that's fair to say, but at the same time, they have the big stage at night again. The ball is in OU's court right now. Mm-hmm. They can flip that narrative immediately with a decent performance against Baylor. And I think they could do it just because Baylor's offensive line is weak. I agree. Um, And I think Oklahoma can take advantage of that. You know, Baylor's giving up the second most sacks in the Big 12 because of their offensive line. West Virginia sacked them eight times. It hasn't been great. And so you would think, guys like I mentioned earlier, a Neville Gallimore, a Ronnie Perkins, and maybe a Nick Benito— Maybe they can do some twists and stunts that Baylor's really been having a tough time covering, and really get a lot of pressure on uh, on Brewer. And you know that's that's the idea here, right? Because they're Baylor's not gonna wow you with their physical presence up front. They shouldn't, anyways. Um, Oklahoma knew what they were in for against Iowa State. Oklahoma knew what they were in for against Kansas State. They get less than a formidable offensive line against Baylor. They'll get the same thing versus TCU the next week. And so I think Oklahoma shouldn't be bullied by them. I think Oklahoma has the ability, and they. I think they, I'm not going to say they will, but I think Oklahoma can definitely bully the Bears on both fronts. I think the Sooners can push around Baylor's defense, and I think the Sooners can push around Baylor's offensive line as well. I think they can have their way with them. And, like, you know, Oklahoma already got nine sacks against Texas. And their offensive line and Texas offensive line isn't anywhere as bad as Baylor's is right now because Baylor's just shuffling around just like Oklahoma's is. But Oklahoma just has better coaches, I would surmise, and better talent as well. And so, yeah, I think Oklahoma has a chance here to really do some stuff. And the thing about Baylor, they're 9-0, and right? They handled Kansas State <coughs> in Manhattan, which is something that Oklahoma couldn't do. They drummed. Oklahoma State, of course, in the fourth quarter, they were down. And then they ended up scoring off of a couple turnovers and then made that score look a lot different than it should have been. Otherwise, they've had a lot of close games versus Texas Tech without Alan Bowman versus TCU, of course. Jed Duffy had a big game against them. <laughs> West Virginia, Iowa State, even Rice early Rice in the is season. No bueno, too. And so, like, they have a cool stadium, but their football is not. These are teams that. Oklahoma, they blew out Tech. They blew out West Virginia. Of course, they would have blown out Rice. 
they haven't played TCU, and they, it was a one-point game against Iowa State, just like it was against the Sooners tonight, and it shouldn't have been. But we're talking about how good is Baylor. We don't know yet. We're about to find out. It's a night game. It's Waco. This has the opportunity to be a very big statement game for Oklahoma, as well as it has the opportunity to be a very big statement game again, a night game in Waco for the Baylor Bears. Of course. Kind of like we saw four years ago, 2015. That was a... That one and the one with Robert Griffin when they were just exploding onto the scene with all the illegal things going on behind the scenes with our Bryles being a terrible human being. Always ends up being a night game in Waco. It's interesting. Except this time Oklahoma is playing the role of spoiler. Kind of. Kind of. Right? Well, Baylor's, uh, Baylor's the undefeated one here. That's true, but Oklahoma's favored by 10 and also still has probably an equal shot at the college football playoff. So, how, how will the Sooners handle this? Because what I've seen so far from Jalen is that he his reads are a little slow. Um, sometimes a team folds under pressure. And that's odd because they rallied against Texas. But they the third quarter, they were shell-shocked against Kansas State before they just really started just chipping away and say, hey, we got to score touchdowns. And by the time you, next thing you knew it, oh, they were close. Iowa State, oh my goodness, they crumbled in the fourth quarter after a fumble and then an interception and a three and outs. It's like, oh my goodness, they are going into shell shock and watch the clock mode. And, you know, it's it's kind of unnerving. And now maybe it's just because it was Kansas State. Maybe it's because it was Iowa State. This is a night game in prime time, and maybe with all odds against them, again, their backs against the wall, as far as, like, internally, it's not like they've dropped three games. It's not like they've dropped four games trying to get to bowl contention. This is playoff odds against the wall. Are they going to fight and beat the crap out of the Baylor Bears? You know? That's the opportunity that they've been given. And in order to make the playoffs, they have to, ha- they have to hope a couple things happen in front of them which a lot of things did happen over the weekend. And style points don't hurt either. That's correct. And they just have a massive opportunity to make that first step into possibly making the college football playoff. How do you see this game playing out? And what's a score prediction from you? I'm actually fairly confident in Oklahoma's ability to win this game. But like uh, Shahan said, I think this is going to be lower scoring mm-hmm. than what people think it'll be just because of Baylor's defense and the fact that their offense hasn't been that explosive. And I also, but yeah, and like their defense, I think they can sort of l- take Oklahoma out of their comfort zone a little bit, maybe l- keep them under forty points or something like that. I could picture OU winning this game like thirty-eight twenty-four though. Okay, I- I'm fairly confident. What if I said that the Big Twelve is really coming around to Jalen Hurts and what he's able to do and what he's not able to do, and Oklahoma does not forcing any turnovers like they haven't been doing at all. And the other opposing team is forcing turnovers against the Sooners. And it's a night game in Waco and all this happens. That's a recipe for disaster, right? Of course. See, even in that instance, though, I think it's probably still a close game. Kind of like you've seen the last two yeah, games. that's fair. Give me Baylor straight up 
37 to 31. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'm not confident. And they've shown me nothing in the last three weeks to me to for me to be confident. You know? Um, I'm not See, saying... I'm confident because of Baylor's offensive line not being that great. It's true. And Oklahoma's isn't that great either. They're better than Baylor's. But college football is a very show-me-now business. In fact, turns out Texas isn't that good. <laughs> turns out Texas is not as fantastic as they thought they were. What's the next best opponent Oklahoma's face besides Texas? Ooh. I'm trying to think. That they've won. N.A. <laughs> Don't tell me it's Houston, right? It's not Houston. Uh, UCLA is actually coming on. UCLA is actually playing kind of well right now, yeah. And that's the conversation we're having right now. Of course, yeah. And then the other teams in the conversation have losing records. So, Like the the best team they played so far, Iowa State, that they've beaten. And they should have beaten them handily. They that's true, exactly. They should have beaten them handily. And they the, were in control of that game. The perception of that game changed because of a terrible, no good, bad fourth quarter. If it just goes as planned and things continue on what they should be as far as like an average, nobody bats an eye over an Oklahoma 17-point win over Iowa State. They're a good team. It's that simple. But it's like last year's Kansas game, except this time the Sooners actually were very close to losing in Norman once again. So I'm not confident. Prove me wrong. I'm asking them to prove me wrong. Because I deserve to be proven wrong. That's on fair. This. Um, but yeah, your plans for this weekend are go down to Waco, man. I'm going down to Waco, man. I've I've never been to a game down there. I've actually never actually been to Waco unless I've just been driving through on I-35. What one thing I really am looking forward to? Check stop in West Texas, Kalachis, mm. legendary. Me and you uh, ever been there? I have not. I've got not. to. Got to make its trip. Me and my, Even just for that. Me and my fiance went to Galveston this summer just to hang out for a minute. And um, we drove through a different way. And we went to Waco. And she wanted to go to the two silos. Which is like, oh, I can't remember. It's like on HGTV. What's that famous couple that they make? Like they redo houses. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's like, I, I don't know. It's like the pretty woman in like. Like that has a Korean heritage or something, and in, in the white in the, the the white man with the red hair, and they do houses together. Is <sighs> that they're from Waco? All, all I really know about Waco is Baylor and the Branch Davidians. That's about it. Ooh, yikes! Yeah, big yikes! Big yikes! But yeah, I oh man, I can't remember. It's not Fixer Upper. It's it's one of those shows. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the the couple does stuff together, and they're like, "Oh, we we'll redo your house for all this money, and it's great, it's fantastic." It might be Fixer Upper. I don't know actually, but that's the last time I was in Baylor and in, in Waco. I never got to go to Baylor, but like the football Hall of Fame or something like that is there, and one of them I saw anyways, or the Texas I don't know Texas Hall of Texas Fame. Texas Hall of Fame or something like that. And yeah, then, I don't know. I I. I kind of, with Baylor being there, I kind of envision it being like the town from Footloose where people aren't allowed to dance and stuff like that. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that's far from reality, but I don't know. That's what's been in my head for the past 20 years. Oh, man, it's just, I don't know. And, okay, the two silos at Magnolia Market, it's from Chip and, where is it? I just saw it. 
Chip and Joanna Gaines. I recognize the, those names. There Absolutely. you go. There you go. And Waco is a place where Dr. Pepper was invented. I did know that. We knew that one. There you go. Very important. You know they like to put uh, peanuts in their Dr. Pepper down there? I've heard of peanuts and Coca-Cola. They do peanuts and Dr. Pepper in uh, that area. I'm curious. Yeah, because of, you know. Have you had the peanuts and Coke? I've not. It's actually pretty good. Uh, see, I would imagine so because of the saltiness. Mm-hmm. Seems like it seems legit. It's good. It's fantastic. I'm going to give that a try. If the Coke is flat, it'll make it taste a lot better too. Interesting. Like I'm not saying like it's like flat, flat, but I'm saying like you know you can get a Coke that like clearly has been shaken more often than a, another Coke. It's not as sweet yeah. as something. The peanuts make it taste so much better. Hmm. I know. I'm gonna have to give it's that a whirl. But man, that's all I've got. You got anything else? I think I'm good. All right, guys. Well, go ahead and follow us at crimsonandcreammachine.com. I can't talk. It's brought to you guys by SB Nation. Uh, follow Jack on Twitter at CC Machine or his personal one if you'd like. Uh, King of the Hill memes and stuff like that. At J Larry Shields. Love King of the Hill. I'm so disappointed in Shayhan. How can a Texas person not know King of the Hill? It's on Hulu, baby. I was baby. very surprised. I Hulu, baby. Uh, you can follow me at Cameraobian CCM or Alan Kenny at Blatant Homerism. Um, he's going to be dropping his odd stuff this week. It's follow be Austin Brown this week and too, yes. because he is actually a Baylor grad. Fun fact. Yikes! Yeah, he's actually going to be doing our preview because he knows a lot about Baylor. It's exciting, but that about hangs us up. So check you guys later. <laughs>